Listen up, C-Lab, I've got some great news for you. Until now, executives have been scrambling to find effective ways to retain customers and increase product engagement. But the solution is actually to train customers right from the start before any of those problems even arise. But without the proper tools, it's easier said than done. Any thoughts, Dave? Yeah, you know, let me tell you about NorthPass, the game changer in digital customer education. Say goodbye to time-consuming and hard-to-track one-on-one trainings, endless emailing of PDFs and help center links. NorthPass transforms your customer training into modern digital experiences. The best part, your learning program can be embedded seamlessly into your platform. Well, that sounds great, but don't take our word for it. Take the word of industry leaders like Walmart, Pipedrive, Glassdoor, and Freshworks. They all choose NorthPass for customer training. So, hey, why don't you get started today? Go visit northpass.com and tell them that Adam and Dave sent you. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we take customer education myths and misconceptions and burn them for warmth. Hi, I'm Adam Evermescu, and today I'm doing a solo episode. So we don't have a guest, uh, Dave's not here today, and I'd like to focus, as we often do, on an instructional design principle. So this is an instructional design 101 series that we come back to from time to time. We've heard that it's helpful for some folks in our audience who don't come from instructional design backgrounds to familiarize themselves with some of these concepts that instructional designers do use on a day-to-day basis. And even for those who do come from an instructional design background or have some instructional design experience, it could be a helpful refresher or in some cases, just a helpful way to apply these concepts to customer education. So I'll say, these are not concepts that I was familiar with before I first got into instructional design early in my career, and were things that I had to learn on the job, but they're things that have stuck with me and ones that I still put into practice. Although, as you'll see as we we go through today, and in fact, in the other episodes where we talk about instructional design as well, these are not hard and fast rules, they're principles. And we always have to make decisions as customer education professionals about how to use them in our day-to-day jobs. So today, we are going to talk about Mayer's 12 Principles of Multimedia Learning. Multimedia Learning, okay, so we're gonna be primarily talking here about videos, images, and other learning that's happening that's not just text. All right, so who is Richard E. Mayer? We always like to do a little bit of biography here at the front. So Richard E. Mayer, he's an educational psychologist. He is at UC Santa Barbara. And if the name is familiar to you, it might be because of his research on multimedia and his role in learning, but it also might be because he is one of the co-authors of e-learning and the science of instruction, which he co-authored with Ruth Colvin Clark. Now, that, in my mind, is a pretty fundamental text when it comes to instructional design and e-learning development. It basically summarizes a lot of the research that Mayer did that you're going to hear about in this episode as well, and then puts a very practical spin on it in terms of how you can incorporate that into your e-learning development. So what are the 12 principles? Well, in Mayer's research, He was trying to learn about what types of multimedia or what formats things can be presented in or how they're being presented that ultimately lead to better learning. And 
he derived 12 principles from that. Now, I want to caveat as we talk about this, and he caveats this as well, even in, in uh, his book and in his research, that this is not a set of hard and fast guidelines. This is not a checklist that you follow to magically produce uh, e-learning that, you know, automatically makes people learn. I think sometimes, especially when we hear principles like this and we hear that they're evidence-based or research-based, we think, oh, these are now the, the rules that I cannot violate. I don't really think of it that way. You can't really turn principles like this into a checkbox. It's sort of a learn the rules before you break them concept. So it's helpful to be familiar with what has been shown in evidence-based research to promote learning. But ultimately, as customer educators and instructional designers, we have to make decisions about what is practical and more so what is relevant for our learners based on what we know about them. So again, not a hard and fast rule, but a really helpful list of principles that you can use when you develop multimedia learning to give it a good shot of being more effective. So let's go principle by principle and talk about what they are. And we'll also talk about how they apply to customer education and some trade-offs that uh, you might make as you think about them. All right, so the first one is the coherence principle. So essentially what this one is talking about is that the fewer distractions in multimedia learning, the better. So when you don't have extra words or images or voiceover or clip arts or stock photography, you're probably going to be better at learning what is actually being presented to you. So I know sometimes people like to uh, jazz up their e-learning by putting in stock photography or even like highly branded images and things like that. And what this principle is saying is that if you're adding those in, they actually have more of a chance of distracting the learner and causing them not to learn what they were trying to learn than uh, if you had just left them out and focused on something a lot simpler. Now, I think this one's really important because this one, as well as the next one, actually the next couple, are really about managing cognitive load. And cognitive load is one of the most fundamental principles that we think about as instructional designers. Because when we are trying to get someone to learn something, and that's you know, kind of primarily what's at the core of our, our jobs, we want to make sure that it has the most chance of actually being retained and then put into use later. And for that to happen, and I'm sorry to any cognitive scientists listening to this, because uh, this is not going to be the most faithful summary of exactly what happens. But the idea is that you want to encode things from your working memory, which is where information is being actively processed into your long term memory. And when it's in your long term memory and in the right place, and you have a schema for that information, then it's going to be much easier for you to pull that knowledge out situationally later and apply it in different situations, which is pretty much exactly what we're trying to do as learning professionals. So that's why cognitive load really comes into play, because uh, when you're presenting learning and you present too many things at once or you're battering the learner with a bunch of new information, well, all of a sudden you're going to be overwhelming their ability to encode things from working memory into long-term memory. And so when you're presenting too much information or too much irrelevant information, that is essentially overwhelming their, their, their cognitive load. So I think managing cognitive load is actually one of the most important things that we can do as learning professionals and, instru and instructional designers. And to do that, 
you often have to take a less is more approach. And that's really what the coherence principle is talking about. So put that clip art and stock photography away. Okay, so principle number two is the signaling principle. And in a way, it's the flip side of the coherence principle. This is about how people learn better when you highlight relevant information for them. So this could be highlighting important text. This could be putting call-out boxes around important parts of a diagram, et cetera, et cetera. And when you do that, then you're actually not distracting the learner with irrelevant information. You're actually highlighting what the most relevant information is. So if you're doing both of those things at the same time, then the learner is more likely to actually focus, pay attention to what they need to do, and uh, ultimately learn better because, again, you're managing their cognitive load. This episode is brought to you by TechSmith. That's right, TechSmith. You know them from Snagit and Camtasia. Snagit lets you create images, GIFs, and videos to show others exactly what you see, and Camtasia is the famous screen recording and video editing software made easy. Yeah, I love it, Adam. You know, I have to say my story here is that Camtasia kind of saved my soul. When I was working, trying to build my first program, I discovered Camtasia and other TechSmith products, and I needed something that was relatively inexpensive, easy to use, and powerful. Overnight, I went from doing tedious editing, recording, and just whatever I had available to me alone with little coaching, being able to make really super high quality videos in a short amount of time. That sounds amazing. And so if you want to create and share images and videos for better training, tutorials, lessons, and everyday communication, you can do that at techsmith.com. That's techsmith.com. All right. So number three is the redundancy principle. And this is about when they were testing different uh, modalities of learning. So uh, images and voiceover and text on the screen, they were looking at different combinations of what worked better. And what it turns out is that in general, people learned better from the version that had just images and voiceover than the one that had those two things and also text on screen. So sometimes you might say, hey, I want to put it all there. I want to make sure that we have as many chances for people to learn as possible. I want to appeal to my visual and audio and I guess not kinesthetic learners because there's nothing to touch. Then you might end up kind of overloading your video or your multimedia or your e-learning with as many of these modalities as possible. And that's actually not what's shown to be the case. And by the way, when I said video and audio and kinesthetic learners a moment ago, I might have triggered some instructional design professionals in our, our listener base, because as we know, those principles are actually not proven by evidence-based research. So there, there isn't necessarily a, a type of learner who is purely an audio learner or a visual learner. So the point is, when you are uh, presenting something that has a image and narration component, right? So you, you, you do have something going on in the video and the audio uh, channels, so to speak. You don't want to overwhelm the learner with another thing to look at, like text, because now, and I think this is what the, the research points to, is essentially you'll start overwhelming them when they are processing too many things through the same channel. So that's why I believe it was shown that graphics and voiceover together, not graphics and on-screen text, which you're, you're reading and watching at the same time and then listening, that's why that doesn't work very well. Now, there are trade-offs to this. 
And in fact, in Mayer's research, he points out some of the boundary conditions where some of these principles work better under certain circumstances than under others. And I believe this is one where he actually calls out if the learner is, say, a non-native speaker or perhaps I'm trying to think of other examples that he calls out and none are coming to mind. You actually might want to, quote unquote, violate this principle because for a non-native speaker oh, or actually someone who uh, is hearing impaired was was another one. You actually need the text to be on screen, right? Because otherwise, how are they going to hear what's what's being narrated? So that's where you actually might choose to uh, go against what this principle shows in terms of learning retention to maximize accessibility for your learners. Now, giving learners an option here from a very practical standpoint makes sense. So oftentimes when you're producing video or e-learning, you'll have the feature in your software to actually be able to toggle the text on and off or closed captioning on and off instead of having it burned into the video or the e-learning. And that can often be a good way to go because now you're giving the learner control over whether they actually see that text or not. Okay. So the next two principles are about contiguity, not continuity, contiguity. And we are going to talk about space and time. So number four is the spatial contiguity principle, which is basically the closer the words are to the images that are being shown, the better you're going to learn. So this one makes sense, but we often violate these design principles all the time. So just keep that in mind. Like if you're going to be labeling an image, try to put that label as close to the image as possible. And temporal contiguity, that's that's about time. So this is better when you've got your words and pictures or your voiceover and graphics being presented at the same time instead of one after the other. So for instance, if you're about to introduce a diagram, don't explain the diagram before you actually show it. Explain it as you're showing it. So these past three that we've been talking about are really based around the idea of video or narrated e-learning. And I believe, in fact, those are the exact modalities that Mayer was testing with when he was doing this research. So in the types of learning that you might produce, like you know, knowledge-based articles or text-only e-learning or job aids, obviously this stuff doesn't all apply in the exact same way, right? Because there is no voiceover, but you can use some of these principles in that type of learning as well, right? Like the spatial contiguity principle still makes a lot of sense for you to put your labels as close to the image as possible on a job aid or when you're working in a knowledge base, for instance, making sure that you have a way to actually label diagrams close to the actual image versus explaining it somewhere else in the text. Those are things that you can actually do to make the learning more effective, even in those formats. So now we get to number six, which is the segmenting principle. And this was testing whether you would learn better from one long unit of multimedia or whether you would learn from smaller chunks that uh, the user could control. And as you might expect, when the user could control smaller chunks of learning, they tended to learn better. And this is one that, again, we, we violate all the time. I think when we're first getting into customer education, often the, you know, the, the quick fix solution is, hey, let's upload this hour long webinar and have people watch it. And then you go and you look at the analytics to this and you're like, oh, yeah, people are 
dropping off over the course of the hour or, oh, people aren't staying engaged, which is what drives us eventually to move to what we might call microlearning or chunking. And microlearning doesn't have a consistent definition. There's not like a certain length of time that makes something microlearning. Similarly, chunking is <laughs> the idea that that one long piece of learning can be chunked into smaller pieces of learning, but none of these are really putting a definition on exactly how long those chunks should be. So this is worth experimenting with and actually seeing what gets the best reaction from your learners, as well as what gets the best engagement. If you actually look at your analytics and start to see, hey, people are generally retaining more when our videos are this long, then maybe that's more effective than presenting them as whatever, you know, the next longest version of the video was. So in general, we, we could say, you know, uh, one hour is better than four hours and 20 minutes is better than one hour and three minutes is better than 20 minutes. But we don't know what the exact optimal length are. And it's going to vary based on your audience as well as the subject matter that you're presenting. I think I might be remembering this incorrectly that in the tests they use for the segmenting principle, they were actually using clips that were only a few seconds long. So they were actually testing like micro, micro, micro learning in a way. So number seven is the pre-training principle. And this is the idea that when you're going to use multimedia, that multimedia is generally going to be more effective when the learner knows the concepts and the terminology before they actually begin the multimedia. So in a way, you know, let's, let's say you're putting your, your videos in your LMS or an e-learning module in your LMS. Well, it might be helpful if you're just using text and video to have a slide before, like a slide of text, before you actually begin the video that introduces the learner to what they're going to be learning, uh, what some of the basic terminology and concepts are before starting the video, instead of putting it all directly in the video. Now, certainly you could explain this all again in the video and it's going to reinforce what was just presented in the text. But the idea is don't just give learners an undifferentiated series of videos that don't actually pre-train them on anything. And even in an e-learning, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, you can do the same thing, right? Where you can present a variety of, of modalities. You can have like a, a text slide or, I mean, not everything is slide-based, I know I'm saying slides, and then switch into a video all within the same SCORM file if you're doing it that way. Okay, number eight is the modality principle. And I think this is actually the most controversial one because what this is showing is that people ended up learning better when they had a combination of images and voiceover than when they had a combination of animation and text on the screen. So why is this controversial? Well, it's controversial because it's, it's kind of saying, if you use this incorrectly, never use text or never use animation always have everything in images and voiceover. So that's also implying something even more controversial, which is that all of your learning, again, if you use the principle incorrectly, should be video basically, right? Because you want the ability to narrate and you want the ability to have images on the screen. So that's not what this is saying at all. And I think it's worth calling it, calling this out. In fact, even in his research and in the book, Mayer calls out the boundary conditions for each of these principles. So what are the scenarios where based on the research, they believe this will work better and where this will not work as well. And what we have to remember is he's not only thinking about 
corporate e-learning. He's not only thinking about customer education style training. He was doing research at a university to figure out what a variety of different learners would process better, right? So we have to think again about what applies to our audience here. And so one of the boundary conditions he calls out for this one is that this tends to work better when the material is complex, when it's a fast paced presentation, and when the learners are already familiar to an extent with what is being presented. So if that's not the case, and let's say you have really dense subject matter or you've got a lot of symbols in your learning or you're working with, again, non-native speakers or hearing impaired, this really isn't going to work. And, and again, they call that out in the research. So you really need to think about your learner base when you're, when you're considering this principle. And furthermore, you know, let's get really practical in customer education. This stuff involves a lot of production time. When you think about multimedia learning, not everything should be video, not everything should be narrated. E-learning, because what we know is from a very practical perspective, this stuff takes time to maintain and to edit. Especially with video and audio, matching your original conditions that you produced, say, audio in, it's going to sound very different than the first time you recorded it. So if your software updates and you're going back in to update something you recorded three months ago, well, if you're not in the exact same room under the exact same conditions and your voice sounds exactly the same. It's going to be really obvious that you just punch something in. So here, I think it's actually important to not adhere so closely to the modality principle that you end up producing a bunch of content that is perhaps more effective. And I'm putting a question mark around uh, driving learning because, again, we know that there are boundary conditions for each of these principles, and it's not always going to apply to your entire learner base. Don't do that at the expense of being able to produce and maintain your content effectively. This episode is brought to you by Skilljar. In customer education, we know that trained customers are your best customers, which is why companies turn to Skilljar to drive adoption, retention, and efficiency, support their products, and to build healthier, more profitable organizations and strengthen the power of your brand. You don't say, well, just look at some of the great companies that use Skilljar to power their own training programs. That's companies like LinkedIn, Cisco, U-Haul, Spotify, and more. They all trust Skilljar to train their customers, partners, or even employees. And I like that it's well-architected with quality connectors and integrations to Salesforce and HubSpot. We both appreciate their amazing partnership from their customer success team. Get your personal demo for Skilljar at skilljar.com. Customer training made easy. Okay, we're kind of coming into the end here. So nine is the multimedia principle. And you might go, weren't, weren't these the 12 principles of multimedia learning? Well, yeah, so this one's a little bit meta. But this one is basically about the idea that people learn better when there are multiple forms of media. So compared to just looking at text, when there was text and pictures, people learn better. So a good reason to supplement your learning with, with, with good relevant images. Remember, they have to be relevant. Now, the other thing I would say, though, is it's possible for this to go overboard. So you might look at this one and say, oh, well, we need to put in as many screenshots of our product as possible. We need to put a lot of images into everything. But 
that can be overwhelming as well and can lead to cognitive load as well as usability issues. So I think it's important to find the right balance, uh, especially in something like your documentation where you might be tempted to overload your learning with a bunch of screenshots. And then not only do you have to maintain that, but some learners find that incredibly overwhelming, but also for actual e-learning modules or videos that you produce you want to have the right combination of text and images. And you can use some of the other principles that we talked about, uh, like the redundancy principle to figure out what the right balance is. So number 10 is the personalization principle. And this is not about personalization the way that we talk about it sometimes, where it's like the, every learner needs a completely personalized experience and everything needs to be served through an LXP that's curating content. No, 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 that's not what this is about. This is basically about the idea that when words are being used, when text is being presented, if that text is in a more formal style, learners are typically not going to absorb it as well as if it's in an informal style. So this is kind of about talking to your learners like people, not trying to talk to them like a textbook or dense instructional, uh, technical manual speak. So number 11, the voice principle is in a way the audio version of the personalization principle. So whereas that one was about conversational words versus formal technical words, this one is more about using a human voice, like a, a friendly conversational voice instead of a machine generated text to speech style voice. Now you, you might think, okay, this is pretty obvious. I, I think it is. In general, the more you are humanizing your learning and making it relatable, I think the, the less distracting it's, it's going to be. It's really hard for me personally to learn when uh, a machine is talking to me like this, and I'm not getting all the nuance of what it's saying because it is being delivered in a flat manner. Did you like that? Was that an okay impression? Thank you. So. Yeah, that's that's what that one's about. Although, you know, there's technology now that is machine generated, but human sounding. So what I would be curious to see is in the next few years, how this principle changes, because while text to speech style machine vocals are, are pretty distracting, now the technology is out there to actually produce the type of audio that is very natural sounding, very human sounding. And this might be a way to capture the voice principle without necessarily needing humans to narrate everything in every language that you're localizing into. So could be a really interesting technique to explore in the future. Number 12, this is the final one. This is the image principle. And so if you heard the last two about personalization and voice and thought, okay, human is better, human is better. Well, does that apply to images too? And this is a question that I get asked very often and, and see asked pretty often in our customer education communities. People ask, should I have a talking head throughout my video? So for example, if I'm doing a video showing how to use my software, is it better for me to have my face in the bottom right or something like that, like I'm on a Twitch stream so that you can see me talking, so that you can see the human, you can see my face, you can see the expressions that I'm making. Well, not necessarily. So what the image principle found here is that, or I should say what the research found is that it's not necessarily that people learn better from that talking head, from seeing the speaker. Although again, the research is kind of still out on this one. They've done different variants of this experiment where they delivered classroom style training and I believe video style training. They had a 
human with a whiteboard and had the human, like a human lecturer, like face the audience and not face the audience or stand behind a transparent whiteboard. So basically, they're, they're still exploring this one. I think with actually quite a few of these, you know, they're still continuing to do research. And, you know, as with any good research, you, you try to disprove the hypothesis that you've formulated. And so jury's out. Like if you if you want to have your face in there while you're talking, some might say, hey, that humanizes your learning more because you can see the person delivering the content and you're not just seeing the screen. On the other hand, you could say, hey, maybe this violates cognitive load and some of the other principles that we've heard about earlier, where if you have someone taking up part of the screen while I'm trying to focus on either slides or a software demo or something like that, then that's actually distracting from what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. So ultimately, probably on you to make a, a decision about this. What I personally prefer is where you humanize your content before and after the bulk of what's being presented. So you have a human deliver maybe the intro and outro bumpers of the video, and then the rest is really focused on the content so that you don't necessarily distract the learner while things are going on, but you still are able to humanize the video really, really well. So, hey, those are the 12 principles, and I hope you've enjoyed this introduction to Mayer's research. He is still conducting this research to my knowledge, and so Every time a new version gets released, we're going to see how the research evolves and how these principles continue to evolve, not just with the new technology that's available, but also with new ways that they're able to test the different theories. So I think that's probably a good note to end on is, again, let's remember that this is evidence-based research. These principles are founded in actual academic experimentation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that following these principles religiously is always going to result in better learning or better retention for your learners. Ultimately, you're going to have to make decisions about what works and doesn't work for your learners, for your business. But again, learn the rules before you break them. So these are a great starting point to be able to design better multimedia. All right, well, I think that's about it for the show today. So if this helped you, I would love it if you could hop on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts or ultimately wherever you rate podcasts and give us a five-star review. Uh, I would also appreciate if you share this podcast with your friends, your peers, over beers. We haven't said that in a while. Thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music and go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening.